the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Welcome as we close out another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program committed to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be taken care of, and we would love to have you call. Um, tonight we got, this is really good weekend for a Bible teacher. This is really good weekend. Uh, tonight, um, I was almost going to say we get to go to heaven, but actually heaven is going to come down to us. Uh, we're in revelation chapter 21 as we're preparing to close out, uh, the book of revelation. So that is tonight here at seven o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. Or you can join us. We usually have room on Friday nights. It's always a great time. On Sunday, I have the uh, privilege of teaching uh, Mark chapter 8, or the end of Mark chapter 8. One of my favorite Bible studies where Jesus actually says, um, if you want to be my disciple, here's what you got to do. And uh, he doesn't pull any punches. So my kind of Bible study, and I enjoy him very, very much. So lots going on. I pray that you get to church this weekend, wherever it is that you go, that you go there with the heart to minister to someone else, uh, ministering on behalf of the Lord. And um, let the Lord use you. That would be a great thing. Well, let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, The first question is from... Uh, anonymous from our mobile app and he or she wants to know what are my thoughts on seeing a therapist or counselor are there people that you recommend for that anonymous i have a really really sort of a, a, a mixed bag here when it comes to therapy uh, i am not for um, psychiatrists or psychologist counseling christians at least until we get to the place where um We've had biblical counseling. The only kind of counseling that we do here at Calvary Chapel is biblical counseling. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a a counselor. I don't have a psychology degree. Uh, I'm not qualified to comment on some things, and especially in those times when it comes to medications and those kind of things for for verifiable mental illnesses. uh, That's that's something that, that a Christian needs to go. Uh, to see if, in fact, they've got those kind of issues. Here's my problem. By definition, psychologists are antithetical. The counsel they'll give is antithetical to what the Bible tells us. 
uh, just again referring to this Sunday's Bible study, uh, anonymous. Uh, Jesus is going to say, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it, and no therapist, no psychologist is ever going to tell you that. And I think at some point we got to make a decision: Do we believe that the Bible has the words of life? Do we believe that Jesus is living water, His Word? Do we believe that His water? Uh, gives us everything we need in this life. Um, if the answer to that question is no, um, then a lot of times we go to therapists, but the reason we go to a therapist is because we don't like the answers the Bible gives us. And I think that's just a lack of faith. So uh, I think if you need a therapist and or a counselor or a psychologist, or in some cases psychiatrist because they can prescribe uh, medications, if you get those kind of issues, we as Christians, we're obligated to do whatever we have to do in order to be a witness for Jesus Christ. So we've got to live a life that is appealing to the people in the world. But here's the downside of it again. And um, Anonymous, when I do counseling, I can always tell the people who have been in psychological counseling because they've got all the buzzwords, they've got all the excuses already built in, and really there's no motivation for them to get better or to do the right thing, because their psychologist or therapist has already told them it's going to take a long time. So, uh, again, that, that's that's not an area of expertise for me, uh, but I do believe that Jesus should be our first stop. So if you need to go to a therapist or a counselor, um, perfectly consider it. But first, make sure that your heart is right with God, that your life is right with God. You know, I've had a lot of people say, well, you know, you Christians, you always say, you've got to read more, got to pray more, got to serve more. That's not at all what happens in biblical counseling. But typically what happens when we're counseling somebody and the Bible says to do something and they don't want to do it, I can tell them you're not going to get better. And usually when they're seeing a psychologist or a therapist, they're trying to find a way to get better without doing what God tells them to do. And in many cases, it's it's just about, I don't want to stop sinning, so can you make my life better? And God's never going to let that happen for somebody who belongs to him. So, uh, no, we don't recommend um, outside counselors. That's not our uh, area of expertise. And uh, if you need it, especially if you need medication, then I would say it's okay. Hope that makes sense. That's a long way to answer, but but I, I always get accused of being anti-science. And, you know, if your your mind is sick, why wouldn't you do the same thing if another part of your body was sick? Well, most of the time our mind is sick because of sin and rebellion against God. Here is another anonymous question. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, this is not anonymous. Uh, it's from Dora from our email inbox. And she says, Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm a fairly new member at your church at Calvary. And first, want to thank you so much for being obedient to the Lord. Bless your heart, Dora. Thank you. And and I'd love to meet you. You know, I can't see very well, so you got to get close to me when you're here. But I would love to meet you, so uh, thank you for coming. Uh, then she continues, Being under your covering has grown my husband and, and my faith and walk with Jesus. I wanted to ask you about the gift of tongues. Is the gift of tongues a babbling of sorts, or is it an actual language not known by those to witness? I know that many false religions and New Agers speak in a babbling of sorts when they have a spiritual experience. I know Scripture states that there should be. I know Scripture states that there should be an interpreter for the tongue spoken. Could I clarify in more detail the biblical gift of tongues and what that looks like today? Thank you. Dora, yeah, I can do this, and we do this. In fact, um, uh, we've got maybe three more weeks uh, in the book of Revelation, Dora. And and on Friday nights when we end the book, we're going to have an afterglow where you might experience the gift of tongues being used under the guidelines given to us by the Bible. So we are a charismatic church, and we want people to be involved. We want them to use the gift of tongues. And uh, so we take advantage of those Friday nights before we change to a new book, and we're able to do that. So uh, I invite you and your husband to come and enjoy the afterglow because it's a really, really sweet time. It's it's just uh, it's different than maybe people expect, but it's a sweet time. Relative to the gift of tongues, I think, as you pointed out in your email, there are a lot of people that speak in tongues, and it's just sort of a yabba-dabba-doo kind of thing. And that's typically counterfeit. 
Um, but whether or not it's a, a, a language, a known language, or, or just a language that can't be understood, I think depends on the use. Well, remember when tongues were introduced uh, to the world at, at, uh, on the day of Pentecost. Um, it, was, it was languages. And the idea there was to be, it was a sign miracle to point people to Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. It was also identified as, by those who understood it, as we heard men praising God. That's also what would happen in an environment like this. But in the individual gift of tongues, uh, I don't think it needs to be necessarily uh, a known language. Uh, my gift of tongues, personally, Dora, uh, and, and I, I've, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit very early in my walk with the Lord. And my gift of tongues, it sounds to me like a language, but I don't try to figure it out because I personally don't have the gift of interpretation. Um, but um, I just think it's a, it's a, a step of faith. Uh, I feel led by the Spirit to, to pray in tongues. That's exactly what... Uh, I, I want to do. Uh, I know it's a spirit leading. I know it's a prayer, even if I don't understand it, that's in the will of God. It's a prayer that God wants to answer. And I think that's important. So I think the personal gift, I call it the vertical gift. It's a gift just between you and God. I think that gift can be almost anything. I think sometimes I've heard people just groaning in the spirit and, and other times. I, I just think that's between you and God. And and you should exercise that, by the way. Pursue using that gift, and you will grow in it. Um, the idea in a church setting, uh, nobody should be speaking in tongues all at the same time. That's that's completely out of order. Paul rebukes the Corinthians for that very thing. So if there is tongues used in our afterglow, um, as soon as you hear the tongue, and usually the people are very nervous, you know, because that's a hard thing to do, stand up and, 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 and pray a prayer in, a, in an unknown tongue. Um, I'll, I'll tell people, okay, let's just wait for the interpretation. We have a bunch of people here at the church that have the gift of interpretation, and we'll wait for an interpretation. Now, Paul says in Second Corinthians 12 that if there isn't an, if there isn't an interpretation, then there will be no more no more use of tongues at night. It's evident that the Spirit of God doesn't want to to do that. And I'll say, okay, well, there's no interpretation, so that'll be the last uh, tongue that we entertain. Uh, we've never had that happen here, Dora. We, uh, when when people have spoken in tongues, there's always been an interpretation, and then typically the Holy Spirit will give me uh, the confirmation that that is indeed. Um, um, the gift uh, that, that it is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, there have been a couple times when I've said that that's not the interpretation of that particular tongue, and then somebody else came along and gave the interpretation. And uh, so, so we do it the way Paul says to do it. That's really, really important. Um, we want to encourage the use of the gifts, not discourage them. So that's what the biblical use of the gift of tongues is all about. Let me give you one other example, Dora, and it's from my own personal life. Um, many years ago, we were planting a church in Reynosa, Mexico. And uh, we went down there with, I think it's 130 or 140 of us that went down there for two days. We were just hitting the streets and uh, sharing Jesus with people. And we took musicians and we took uh, people that gave haircuts and makeup artists. We did all that thing uh, uh, down to one of the plazas in Reynosa. And uh, so that was that was going to be on Saturday afternoon. Well, we got there Friday early. And we spent all day Friday telling people what we we're going to do and just sharing Jesus with people on the streets. Now, for about eight weeks prior to that, we have a, a, a wonderful man in our church who is a Spanish teacher in high school. And uh, not in our high school, but, but he's a, the, a teacher in the public school system. And he said, Pastor Ron, if you'd like, I'll give um, uh, on Thursdays, just we'll be here for an hour, I'll give conversational Spanish lessons. And I said, that'd be a great idea. So we did that for eight Thursdays. And I was involved. I do not speak Spanish. I was involved. 
And so when we got down to Reynosa, I always travel with an interpreter because I like to be independent and kind of move around. I, I like talking to people. And uh, for that two days, um, Saturday and Sunday, I'm sorry, uh, Friday and Saturday, uh, I, I didn't need my interpreter. For two days, I spoke in Spanish. Now, sure, my Spanish was horrible, but, but people understood me, and I understood them, and people were getting saved. Uh, Paula was looking at me, you know, like, who are you, and that kind of thing. So for two days, I spoke Spanish. That was a gift of tongue, tongues, a, a, a known language that enabled me to share Jesus, to praise him, and do all the things, and a lot of people got saved. Now, we have been in Reynosa since then. Uh, we've gone to Monterrey. Uh, we planted a church in Durango, Mexico, and, and, and I went there. I've spoken there a couple of times. And uh, I keep thinking, okay, Lord, it'd be great if you give me the gift of tongues again, give me the gift of Spanish. And he never has. He did it that one time. And, um, you know, it was such a blessing. I wish he'd do it again. But that just hasn't happened again. So that's the, the easiest way to explain, one of the things you can do, Dora, is you can go to calvarysa.com and go to our studies. Everything we have on our website is free. You can go to our studies and um, listen to my teaching on 1 Corinthians 12 and then uh, 13 and 14. And we talk about the proper way to use the gifts of the Spirit in, uh, in the church, in a church setting. So let me say it once more. Whenever you go to a church where everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, you have not encountered the Spirit of God. You've just encountered flesh, and and that is is a counterfeit and certainly not something that God would approve of. Good question, Dora. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions, or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. And Dora, don't forget, I'd love to meet you and your husband. If I haven't gotten to say hi yet, and remember, I can't see, so it'll take me a little bit of time to be able to to recognize you. Here is an anonymous question, um, Pastor Ron: How are Old Testament believers filled with the Holy Spirit if He wasn't given yet? Anonymous, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. They were given the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the, the words matter here, so I'm going to be very, very careful. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God fell upon certain people, but he never came to live within them. For instance, you'll see David in his famous Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51. He, he prays it, that, that uh, God will not take his Holy Spirit away from him. Well, we know that once we're given the Holy Spirit, he can never be taken away. But see, Old Testament believers didn't have that kind of a relationship. So when Samson did these miraculous feats of strength, or when David, uh, uh, you know, played the lyre and 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 uh, uh, soothed King Saul with his music, um, um, when prophets were overcome by the Spirit, they were they were empowered by the Spirit to speak for God or to speak about God. But it wasn't the same kind of relationship that we have when the Spirit of God lives within us. So they were, they had the Spirit of God fall upon them to do certain things for the Lord or to speak for the Lord or to, to do miraculous feats for the Lord. Uh, we're, we're studying on Wednesday nights now. We've just gotten into the life of Elijah. I'll be finishing chapter 17. We've only had one study in Elijah's life. be finishing chapter 17 in 1 Kings next uh, Wednesday night. And um, Elijah, um, um, a man of God, did amazing things. Amazing things. And yet he still didn't have the relationship with God that you and I have. The intimacy, the abiding nature of of his presence. So they were they had the Spirit fall upon them, but you're right, he was only given to the disciples. Jesus post resurrection breathed on the disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. And that was the first time that the Holy Spirit actually took that upon us. 
Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question that comes in from uh, email inbox. This is from Curious Radio Listener. That's the name. Um, he says, can you talk about 2 Kings 2.23 when Elisha seems to overreact to the young men making fun of his boldness? I've read the word is better translated young men, so these aren't children. It still seems like an ungodly reaction, unless there's more going on here. Perhaps they meant to discredit Elisha's calling by comparing him to Elijah when they said, Go up, you bald head, as in ascend to heaven if you're really from God. Let me read the the uh, the passage of Scripture. Uh, from there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. Now, if you have King James, it says little children. The the New American Standard says young boys. The International Standard Version says young men. Uh, the NIV, I think, has this right. Um, they're, they're not boys in the sense they're, they're eight-year-olds. But these are, are spiritually, obviously immature young men. And uh, I think that does it. Now, regarding his reaction, these young boys, they were like a pack of them, and they were sort of bullying him and threatening toward him. I want you to remember what I just said in our last question about the Holy Spirit not being given, um, um, Elisha did not have the Holy Spirit that you and I have to control his behavior. He also had never heard Jesus preach. You know, turn the other cheek. Blessed are the meek. That's power under control. Uh, um, to love your enemies. That, that That's so un-Jewish. One of the reasons that the, the, the Jewish leaders hated Jesus so much was because he turned everything that they believed to be true upside down, or I would say right side up. But, but remember, they didn't have that kind of teaching. So remember, somebody without the Spirit of God who's in a threatening position by a pack of young men um, um, he's going to be given over to his flesh. Read some of David's Psalms. Uh, Lord, break the teeth off in their mouth. Uh, Lord, vindicate me. I mean, that's just the human side of us. So Elisha, now these these young men didn't die, but there were um, a whole bunch of them who, um, frankly, uh, got what they deserved, and, and there was a lesson taught. So I don't think that we need to go any deeper than that. Uh, they were they were um, um, making fun of him. They were showing disrespect. One other thing I want to comment, the same thing was true with Elijah uh, before Elisha. Um, both of these men were described as men of God. And in the day that they lived in, to treat a prophet like this would be considered blasphemy and so disrespectful of God. Th- these young men got what they wanted. I don't think this was an ungodly reaction. I think it was a, a human reaction. And much the way, um, curious radio listener, <laughs> much the way that we would react when we are in the flesh as opposed to in the spirit. The difference is we know it's wrong. But Elisha, and before him Elijah, didn't know. These men were chased. These men were hunted down. Uh, They were the mortal enemies of the people in positions of power. Uh, They had to be really, really tough men. So um, when Elisha called the curse down from heaven, this was a lesson. And they were being as disrespectful to him and, of course, to God as possible. Good question. Thank you very, very much. And I'm going to tell you something that's weird. Uh, I I knew I was going to get asked that question today. I don't know why I knew it. But this morning, uh, the Lord prepared me, I think, for that question. Okay, got time for one more question on this side of the break. So we'd love your phone calls. Marty says, what is the most effective way to deal with fear? 
I seem to be afraid of everything God asked me to do. Marty, God bless you for being so honest. I think, you know, we read all of the fear nots, and there's hundreds of them in in our Bibles. We read all the fear nots, and we want to be tough, and we want to act like we have faith. So we say, I'm not afraid. But the truth is, we're all afraid. Marty, I've told my church many times over the years that I live in fear every single day. Every day. Um, but I have resolved, because God has shown himself powerful so often, I have resolved that whatever God asks me to do, I'm going to do even though I'm afraid. I think that's the commitment we have to make. That's what faith is all about. Faith isn't not being afraid. Faith is moving forward with Jesus when you are afraid. And you know what? I think if we don't have a healthy fear of God and being wrong and doing things with the wrong motive, I think maybe that borders on arrogance. And uh, I just think the way you have to deal with fear is to purpose in your heart to be obedient no matter what. Paul always says, if you're afraid, do it afraid. Well, I do it afraid. Doesn't mean I'm not afraid. Good question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the week. We'd love your live calls, 340-9585. This is the word to stand on for life. I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR let me backtrack Uh, a couple of uh, questions. First, um, one more thought on fear. I I would ask all of you in the radio audience to pray for me. Um, We are right now on the verge of taking a step of faith that is absolutely terrifying to me. Terrifying to me. Um, um, And, and, uh, you know, I'm going to do it, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm not afraid. And, And I try to be as real as I can about that because we in the pulpit especially... We sometimes seem to be painting pictures that, you know, we've got faith and we're not afraid. No, we're afraid. And any man preaching the word of God who isn't afraid isn't telling you the truth. But faith is the antidote to fear. And it's our responsibility before we teach somebody to walk in faith, to walk in faith ourselves. And we got this huge, huge thing that that we're, we're looking at here. And um, personally, I believe with all of my heart that it's something God wants, something he's going to do. But if I were to take a poll, people would say, oh, you're crazy. What makes you think that's God? But you know, God has shown off for me so many times over the years that I just don't think that there's... Um, Anything I can do, it would be so faithless of me to to let fear keep me from taking this step just because it's a bigger one. But we're 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 in that place now. So I would I would just ask people that are appreciated who appreciate this show, um, just pray for me as the Lord brings me to heart and mind. And uh, we want to be faithful. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We're told. And I never want to be in that position. The other thing I want to backtrack on a little bit, maybe give you a little bit more detail, is uh, from Curious Radio Listener a minute ago about Elisha being called Old Baldy. Two things that I want to point out. One is uh, in, in the Old Testament, the word used for some use in the New Testament um, um, in other places in the Bible refers to men who are anywhere from 12 years old to 40 years old. The same word is used to describe Joseph at 39 and Absalom at 40. So it's the same word. So we can't tell. Now, this is pretty early. I mean, in fact, this is really early in Elisha's ministry. He's just seen Elijah uh, go up 
uh, in a in a chariot of fire uh, to heaven, and um, Elisha, as a young man, was evidently prematurely bald, and that that would be a contrast to the hairy Elijah. Now remember also that Elijah was a hero in Israel at the time. And and all of say making fun of somebody's physical appearance is as old as time, but lots and lots of damage is done. Um, these these youngish men knew right from wrong. That's the whole context of this story. Um, they chose willfully to belittle the man of God simply because he wasn't Elijah. And even in this. Go up, you bald head. The go ups in the passage ref- are referring to Elijah's ascension in heaven. You know, by now everybody's talking about Elijah's departure, and Elisha's taking his place. And these young men were in effect saying, "Elijah's gone, and we're glad he's gone. Now you get out of here as well." And this is a test for Elisha, and he's not going to doubt what he's doing. So they're making fun of the word of God, really. And that's exactly what happened. I love that. You know, this is just poetic justice. Um, Proverbs 26, 2 says that like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. So we know that this was a deserved curse. And while it sounds harsh to us, uh, it's something culturally that would have been understood. They got what was coming to them. You know, I think, Curious Radio listener, I think that there are times when we're so shocked with anything other than grace that we, we, we have a tendency to, to, to just sort of discount the, the, the reality of judgment. And when people get what they have coming to them, that's really, really important. Let's go to Ray calling from San Antonio on line one. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. I was surprised that hi, you... Uh, uh, hi, uh, that uh, it sounds to me as though you have gotten a, uh, a place for... Uh, on, on uh, well... I, I won't go into that, but uh, it just struck me as that seemed like <laughs> it. But uh, um, I, I, I was wondering if you have a definitive distinction between worry, which we're we're not supposed to worry, um, and uh, you said fear. You're you're terrified and. You know, I I have my own idea about it, but if if you would like to uh, expound on that or you know bypass it, that's fine. Yeah. I'll listen on the nope. on the radio. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. Actually, that's a wonderful distinction to make. Now, just just so everybody in the audience knows, what Ray was going to say, it sounds like maybe you found a place for unusual kindness. Uh, Unusual Kindness is a free restaurant that we are in the process of of getting going here at the church. And it wasn't too long ago when I said, boy, this is the biggest step of faith and I'm terrified. But this one, Ray, is way, way, way bigger. And uh, and so uh, I can't, I'm not trying to be cryptic here. It's just that there's not a lot I can say now. Um, but we're working on something that's pretty special. and And if it works out, Unusual kindness would have its place for sure. So um, that's what it is. The difference between between worry and fear. Uh, worry keeps us sort of from moving. Uh, we worry about something. God's promise he would take care of us. And we worry, well, how are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? And I don't see it yet. And, and we worry. And when we worry, we open ourselves up to the enemy who wants to keep us uh, sort of paralyzed in that worry. So I, I really, I, I hope this makes sense to, to the audience. I don't really worry about anything, but I am terrified about a lot of things. Uh, this step of faith that we're taking, I'm terrified first of saying no. I'm terrified most of saying no because of fear. No, I'm not going to do that. I've already made the, the, Paula, you know, all I need to know is that Paula's with me and, and we've, we've dealt with this over and over, but, but I'm not going to let 
uh, fear keep me from doing what God tells me to do. But I'm afraid because it's going to be hard, because it doesn't seem possible, and because the consequences of it falling apart uh, or 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 damaging um, uh, the, the reputation of the church, um, those things are all fearful to me. But as afraid of that as I am, I'm more afraid of saying no to God. That's, a, a, I think, a healthy filial fear of God. So while I'm afraid, I'm going to take that step of faith and then just deal with whatever consequences. You know, these foolish name it and claim it types just, well, you just step out in faith and you name it and claim it and God will do it. That's not the way God works, not in the Bible, not in real life in the year 2022. Uh, every step of faith that we take is going to be challenged. Every step of faith that we take is going to be um, um, uh, an opportunity for the enemy to 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 stop. He, he hates it when we take steps of faith. And we know that we need to roll up our sleeves and go to battle. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, Worry really is a lack of faith. Fear is not, but worry is really a lack of faith. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. That's a promise, and yet too many of us were so worried about things that we're not first seeking the kingdom of God. So so that's I think, finds its roots in unbelief, worry. But fear is just something I think that is completely normal. Paul said that he despaired even of life at one stage in his service to the Lord. Um, He feared daily that he was going to die. And yet he still did it. When the Ephesian elders tried to keep him from going to Jerusalem because prophet after prophet said that he would be bound and imprisoned and ultimately meet his death there. Paul said, you guys are breaking my heart. Don't you know that I'm compelled to go? I know these things are true, but I'm going anyway. Yet that didn't keep him from being afraid of the consequences of those things. I think there's one other thing, Ray, that we always have to be mindful of, our humanness. And we can't avoid it. We still live in these flesh and blood bodies. But our humanness, um, I don't want to be wrong I don't want to disappoint Jesus. No, I I say that using human language because God's never disappointed. He knows everything. But but I don't want to disappoint him, nor do I want to be a disappointment to the people that have served so faithfully with us for all these years. So that's the difference between fear and worry. And again, Ray, that's a wonderful distinction to make. So thank you for asking. Here is a question from uh, Anonymous. Um, I am deeply in love with a woman I met online who is engaged to someone else. I feel like God put her in my life, so should I expect her to end her engagement? Anonymous, I'm going to be really, really direct. You are in sin. Absolute sin. doesn't matter you're deeply in love with a woman. She's not available to you. She has made a commitment to someone else. And if you would pursue this relationship, your sin against God would be such that I would expect horrible, horrible judgment. And I don't mean for your soul. I'm not talking about that. But but the, the consequences of this kind of an act would be overwhelming. Additionally, if you could ex- talk her into ending her engagement so she could be with you, you'd never have any confidence at all that she was telling you the truth, that she couldn't be talked out of going with you when somebody else comes along. So uh, you're in sin. You need to repent. For you to be deeply in love with a woman who is pledged to somebody else is adultery. You haven't committed it physically yet, at least I hope you haven't. But you have, uh, you've crossed a line that no Christian needs to understand. Now, let me also say something else about this. This nonsense, and I mean nonsense, people who fall in love with a woman or a man that they've never seen physically yet because you've exchanged information online. 
because you shared your secrets, your hurts, your pain. Um, you know, you, you can never be confident of somebody's love like that. You know, when you're writing to somebody and they've never met you, they can't touch you, they can't smell you, they can't see the flaws, the idiosyncrasies. It's amazing how attractive and romantic and smart people sound when you're just typing messages. This kind of behavior for Christians is simply unacceptable. Um, You meet somebody online, the first thing you should do is say, well, we need to get together physically. And I don't mean sexually, you know that. But but we need to get together. If there's any room for this to grow, we need to explore this. We need to make a commitment to one another. But this idea that we can fall in love with somebody that we've never met. 27 years as a pastor, and probably... 22 of those years um, in the internet age where, where everybody was online and now especially when when that's just a way of life uh, I, I can't tell you the pain and the damage that I've seen caused precisely by situations like this. I've seen marriages broken up. I've seen people put their lives in danger because the person that they thought they were in love with turns out to be a monster. So, Anonymous, you are in rebellion against God. You're in a dangerous place. We cannot have people that we have no access to. And this woman is just not to be yours, period. End of story. And you can rationalize it any way you want. You can claim to be soulmates. Whatever you do, the one thing you need to know is this is sin. And you need to run away from it and run to Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness. And then you need to learn to control yourself emotionally. God would never put a woman who belonged to somebody else in your life. That's the most cheesy spiritual application I've ever seen. And yet I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. We convince ourselves that what we want to do is from God, so we feel good doing it. There's no chance for this relationship with you. Even if she would leave the other person come to you, there is zero chance. So shut down your emotions, read your Bible, and get right with God. Here is a question from Michael. He says, Pastor Ron, can a Freemason also be a Christian? Michael, yeah, of course they can. Now, they shouldn't be, both. Um, If somebody is a Freemason and they meet Jesus, they get saved. Well, the first thing they ought to do is just cut all of the ties with Freemasonry. Now, the problem is that most Masons, um, they really believe that they're just involved in a service club. And we would think, well, what can be wrong with service, doing good things for the benefit of the public? But Freemasonry is almost a cult. And, and just the, the secrets, the degrees, the, the, um, the, the, the secret O's that are taken, uh, all of those things are, are contradictory to a claim to be a Christian. So whatever you get from your association with Freemasonry Um, Jesus will multiply that infinitely so, and you'll get more, and you'll realize that your only oath, your only commitment is to him. And Michael, I do know, have known, I don't currently know anybody, I don't know anybody that in my life, I'm sure there are some people that I just don't know about, but um, I've met some Freemasons who were also believers, no doubt they're believers, and their whole response is, no, we're just, we're just serving the community. It's just good work. It's good fun and good fellowship, and we enjoy doing it. So it's more of a social club. I don't think it's something they ought to do, but it's not for me to tell them not to do it. Um, but, but Freemasonry is not compatible with being born again in Jesus Christ. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Patricia. She says, "I know Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. So why does someone have to become a Christian for their sins? Or I'm sorry, if their sins have been forgiven? Well, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but forgiveness is a gift, 
And Patricia, um, I know some universalists who, who use this. Well, he died for the sins of the whole world, so everybody's forgiven. No, forgiveness is a gift that has to be received. And the basis upon receiving that gift is faith. We are saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith. And that, the faith, not of ourselves. Faith is the gift of God. So it's a gift that has to be received. And if you try to stand before God on the basis of your own sins, your own behavior in life, then you're going to find yourself coming up short of the glory of God and being disqualified. Those of us who know Christ, Patricia, our sins, though they may be worse than normal people's sins, um, our sins are forgiven. And that's why we can, at the at the gate to heaven, we can say, um, I, I, I want to come in based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The person who has not asked for forgiveness, whose life is covered in sin, those are the people who are going to be told to depart from me, for I never knew you. Patricia, tonight... Here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching, I think it's the first 12 verses of Revelation 21. And in this passage of Scripture, we're told the people who are in and the people who are out. Um, the, 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 the people who are covered in sin will, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the reason is because God is holy. And the only approach we can make to him is based on the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That means we're able to, to go in the presence of the Lord. But those who are still covered in their sin, they are disqualified. So it's not that God died and then everybody was forgiven. It's that God died and the gift of forgiveness was offered. But remember, as I said, it's a gift that has to be received. So Jesus' death was efficacious for the whole world. Anybody and everybody who's ever lived can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. You died for my sins. God has to punish sin. He would cease to be holy if he didn't. And all you have to do is ask Jesus for forgiveness and you're in. But you have to choose. God would never force somebody who wanted to live independent from him for their whole lives. God would never force somebody to be dependent on him for eternity. So the, 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 the universalist would say, well, if he died for the sins of the whole world, everybody's going to make it to heaven. No, it's a gift that has to be received. His death is efficacious for the whole world, but it's only effective for those who receive the gift. Thank you, Patricia, for the question. Regina says, Do married couples save each other through the faith of the one who believes? I think Paul says that that it does. Uh, The answer is no. Married couples don't save each other. Only Jesus saves. What Paul says in writing to the church at at Corinth is that the unbelieving spouse can sanctify. I'm sorry, the believing spouse, I mean to say. The believing spouse can sanctify the unbelieving spouse. But that's not saving them. Sanctifying them through our prayers uh, is is simply setting them apart. Um, Regina Paula uh, did that for me. She prayed for me for 13 years. There wasn't a day when I wasn't brought before the throne of God um, Paula asking God to save me. Um, she would get to the point at times where she would say, whatever needs to be done to save Ron, Lord, save him. And she hung in there and she prayed for me. Um, her prayers were answered. Um, 13 years after she started them, uh, God marked me out. The same way we can sanctify our children our unbelieving children. We can pray for them and we're setting them apart for the Holy Spirit to make a special effort to go and get them. Now, the one thing, Regina, that God will never do is force somebody to believe. It doesn't mean because I'm praying for somebody in my family who's unsaved that God is going to force them. That's not a promise that we're made. They have to make their own decision of their own free will. But our prayers set them apart and they're set apart to such a degree 
that believe me, and this is my own personal experience talking, um, when when God sort of sets you apart through the prayers of, of another, uh, he makes your life miserable to continue in rebellion. Now, I needed to be miserable. I needed to get to the end of myself. And, and finally, I got so desperate that I had no choice but to cry out for Paul as Jesus. And that's exactly what I did, Regina. And, and my transformation was absolutely radical. So Paula sanctified me or set me apart for God. He targeted me, but I still had to make the choice of my own free will. So I hope that makes sense. Here's the last question for the day. This one comes from Richard, for the week, in fact. Richard said, why would God create someone he knows is going to spend eternity in hell? Richard, God didn't create. God created Adam and Eve. The rest of us were created by the creation process. Men, women have sex. Babies um, are developed and born. That's the creation. God doesn't stop that. He doesn't stop that because that's just a normal process. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and the world is going to be multiplied with believers and unbelievers alike, and more unbelievers than believers. So God creates everybody with the same opportunity. The fact that they reject that opportunity, well, we can't put that on God. Uh, You know, God doesn't abort babies. So God wouldn't stop a baby from being born just because he knows that child is not going to uh, be a believer. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of a telling question. Um, almost like God owes us. He doesn't. We owe him everything. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Get to church this weekend. Find somebody to pray with, to pray for. Be a blessing to someone else. I'll see you on Monday, God willing. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.